We're just going to pray for you. Lord, I just thank you for this night. I thank you um, that you brought all these people here safely um, from all these different campuses uh, under your name. That we'll just have a great time this weekend um, learning and growing in our faith and building relationships. Lord, I pray that you'll speak through Jeff now. Uh, that you'll just give him boldness and wisdom to speak uh, your truth and love, Lord. And that you'll be working on our hearts and minds, Lord, um, to... Apply this message to our lives, that we will not merely be hearers of the word and so deceive ourselves, but that we'll do what it says. I pray all this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. You guys excited for fall retreat this weekend? I remember in 2008, I was a freshman at the University of Maryland, and I went to my first fall retreat, and it was one of the most amazing experiences. And every year, fall retreat is, uh, was, is, was and is uh, one of my favorite experiences and, and things that crew does. Well... Um, yeah, MCs, thank you so much for that introduction. I uh, really appreciate that. Hopefully tomorrow morning uh, I'll be able to introduce you a little bit more with who I am to my family. i got a couple pictures uh, to show you. Uh, hopefully we'll have some projections and some stuff on the screen uh, tomorrow and Sunday, but uh, you might have to wait uh, tomorrow morning for that. Um, yeah, so as uh, I think Jonathan said, I'm originally from Montgomery County, Maryland. There's any MoCo people in here? <laughs> MoCo. Any, is anyone from Damascus? Yes, what are talking about? What about like Gaithersburg? Yes. See, I'm like from Damascus, but my zip code was Gaithersburg, so I can kind of claim both of them. So, uh, but as the MCs also said, I, I also went to uh, the University of Maryland, and uh, I really loved uh, my time in college. Uh, my, my time in college was awesome. Uh, I loved living in the dorms. Just living on the floor with like 60 people, staying up late at night, playing video games, uh, eating food that wasn't good for us, it was awesome. Loved playing intramural sports. Uh, I, I was on an intramural football team one time and our, our games were scheduled on Tuesday night at midnight. And uh, it, was, it was awesome, playing on the turf field under the lights. Um, I loved college because going to the football and basketball games at Maryland, we typically won more basketball games than football games sometimes, it was so fun. Uh, I loved the friendships that I got to form in college, and some of them, many of them, uh, continue until this day. And, uh, you know, I think every now and then I enjoyed being a student, too. So, uh, But I, I really loved my time in college. And another reason, one of the other reasons why I loved my time in college is that it's a time in life when we really get to consider uh, some of life's most important questions, where we get to answer and discuss uh, some of the big questions of existence about the meaning of life. Because in college, really, we're given more time and more space um, than at any other time in our life to really sit and discuss and ponder um, some of the most, most important questions uh, of life. And, and we get to have these conversations both in the classroom and outside the classroom. And we get to do it with a great community, a uh, community of peers and uh, st- fellow students and professors and our crew staff. Uh, it's really a sweet time. Um, and, and because college is a, is a unique time, it, it's a unique time to really answer uh, some of these most important questions. Um, you know, it, it's not that you can't think about these questions after you graduate, right? Of course you can. Uh, but you just have a unique window. You have a unique four years uh, where you're able to stop and think about these things. Um, and so it's, it's worth it. it. It's worth it to take the time why you're here in college and you have this, this time to, to, to spend time asking the big questions about existence. It was the, uh, the Greek philosopher Socrates who said that the unexamined life is not worth living. 
that the unexamined life is not worth living. And so what we're going to do here this weekend is we're going to examine, we're going to look at uh, some of life's most important questions this weekend that we look at in, in college. Uh, you know, we're all here with our friends, we're away from campus, uh, we get a weekend just to, just to pull away, all our meals are provided, there's no homework to do, maybe for some of us, but, uh, but we just have time to sit back and have lots of conversations uh, at meals and, uh, you know, just in the afternoon and, and around uh, the campfire to, to talk about it. And so we're going to do a, a quick uh, three-part series this, this weekend that I've titled uh, Dorm Room Questions, because uh, I think these are questions that we all ask in the, in the dorm rooms and on campus. Uh, and we're going to look at three questions in particular this weekend. And those questions are, number one, who am I? Why am I here? And what is my future hold? Who am I? Why am I here? What is my future hold? And those questions are questions of identity and meaning and hope. Identity, meaning, and hope. These are questions that we have, we've got to at least think about, if not answer during our time in college. If we're going to be intellectually respectable adults, these are questions that we have to consider. And, you know, I recognize, you recognize that, uh, that most people, you know, different cultures throughout history have thought about these questions and have asked these questions. You and I are not the first people to, to ask these questions together. Um, that different cultures have their different answers to these questions. Our modern Western culture has different answers to these questions. Uh, but as you might imagine, uh, Christianity offers its own unique answers to these questions. Uh, answers that I believe are utterly unique and utterly transforming. And so we're going to spend some time exploring uh, what Christianity has to say about these questions. Who am I? Why am I here? And what does my future hold? And so tonight we're going to start with the first one. And the first question is uh, the question of who am I? And it is the question about identity. Now, let's be clear about what we mean when we talk about identity. Identity is a really complex thing. Uh, It means a, a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But... I want to kind of simplify our definition definition tonight and say that when we talk about identity, we're talking about at least two things. Not just two things. Again, it's a complex idea. But we're talking about at least two things. Number one, having a sense of self. A sense of self that we have different roles in life. We're a son or a daughter. We're a family member. We're a student. We work somewhere. We're part of different groups. But there's a sense of self. There's an identity that stays the same. And all of these different roles. So you got a sense of self. And you also have a sense of self-worth. A sense of this is who I am matters. That there is intrinsic value and worth. Uh, there's, a, there's a fundamental uh, sense of, of value to, to who I am. That's what we mean. That's the way that I'm going to use the word identity tonight. And so we're going to look at a, a section of the Bible together uh, that deals with identity. And it comes from the book of Philippians. And so if you have your Bible... Uh, go ahead and turn, turn to Philippians 3. Again, hopefully tomorrow, at uh, the different passages that we look at, uh, we'll be able to project them on the screen so you can, them, you can look at them there. Um, but if you have a Bible, go ahead or on your phone, look up Philippians chapter 3. Allow me just to briefly orient us to this text. So this book called Philippians was written by a guy named Paul, who was one of the founders and the teachers of the early church. And this letter that he wrote was, was written in the first century, to a church, a group of Christians who were living in the city of, of Philippi, 
which is a city in, in modern-day Greece. And uh, to kind of situate us to where, to where we are in the passage, um, our passage is a particular section in this letter where Paul is telling people to watch out about where they find their identity. He's telling people to, to take care, to have caution about what they find their identity. He specifically says he, to watch out for this particular group of religious people who get their identity, who get their sense of self and self-worth from external religious things. And he's telling them, watch out for them. Don't listen to them. Don't follow them. And so that's the context of our passage. So let's pick it up. We're going to look in Philippians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 2. It says, watch out for those dogs, for those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, do glory in Christ Jesus, and we do put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks that he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. It is given to us because he loves us. One real quick word of introduction. I was realizing I was reading, reading that text. There's something else uh, I wanted to say to you before I dove into my talk. And that is um, that this weekend I'm available for you. That I'm here for you. And so if at any point during this weekend, either tonight or tomorrow or Sunday, um, if you have a question either about um, something that we talked about or just a question about the Bible or Christianity or God or the gospel, um, I would love to talk through those questions with you. And so feel free to just pull me aside at some point. Or, or maybe we can get together at a meal or something and uh, feel free to, to come grab me. So I just want to make sure that I said that. So, um, but, but now uh, let's, let's dive in. So let's dive into our talk. All right, so how many of you guys have seen the great American film Moana? Any Moana fans out there? That's right. I know. It's amazing. It's an amazing movie. So uh, for those of you who maybe haven't seen it yet, you should, but let me just orient you to what this movie is about. So, Moana is this story, this animated Disney movie, about the story who, uh, about a girl who grows up uh, on the Pacific Islands. And uh, Moana's dad is the chief of her people. He's the chief of their village. And Moana's village, they have a, a great sense of cultural pride about their, their past. Uh, that their ancestors used to be a people who explored the oceans and who inhabited islands. Uh, and, they're, and though they're really proud of their culture, one thing that's true of them is they really don't venture out anymore. Uh, that there are people who they stay on their island and they, they don't continue to explore. They don't go past the breakers out in the ocean. 
but we come to get to know Moana, and Moana is different. Uh, she's grateful for her culture, but she also wants to explore her own individual destiny and to see if there's something out there for her beyond the waves, beyond the breakers out there. Uh, deep down, she knows that she's different from her people, and, and she feels like she needs to be true to that feeling. Mo- Moana is a character, a lot like us, who struggles with finding out her true identity. And we see this really play out in the main uh, theme song. I'm not going to sing it to you, but I will say it to you. Uh, so this struggle of identity is really captured in the main theme song that goes like this. And she says, uh, I know that everybody on this island seems so happy. On this island, everything is by design. I know everybody on this island has a role, so maybe I can roll with mine. I can lead with pride. I can make us strong. I'll be satisfied if I play along. But the voice inside me sings a different song. What is wrong with me? You can feel the tension that she's describing by this identity crisis that she's having. She's proud of her culture, and yet she feels like there's something more out there for her, inside of her. And so Moana, I think, really captures for us something that I think is very true about identity. And that is that identity is something that we know that we all need, and yet it is something that many of us struggle to find. That's something we all need, but it's something that we struggle to find. Maybe some of you would would say that, uh, as a college student, that really finding your identity has been something that you would say that you know that you need, and yet it's something you've really struggled to find during your time in college. You came to college with the expectation of finding yourself, of finding out who you truly were, and yet that has been more disorienting and and more disappointing than you you thought it would be. Maybe others of you might be uh, more confident, more sure in who you are right now. But life changes. Circumstances change. You graduate in college and you move on and you're not the same person. And so how do you know you're not going to be the, the, the same person five years from now or ten years from now or twenty years from now? You know, how do you know that you're still going to be secure in who you are then? You know, all of us, I think at some level, are asking the question, who am I, really, deep down? And what I want us to see tonight is that, what I want us to see is the Christian answer to this question, who am I? And to see that the answer to this question centers around the person of Jesus Christ. And that that is because Jesus offers an identity that is superior to all the other identities that we could find. And the identity that Jesus offers us is so freeing. It's, it's so uh, superior because how, of how radically freeing it is. Because of how radically freeing it is. So we're going to look at three aspects of, of the identity that Jesus offers us. Uh, three aspects of the surpassing identity that is available to us in Jesus. And we're going to look at that uh, from our text tonight, Philippians 3. So the first aspect of this identity um, that, uh, that Jesus offers us is that Jesus offers us, first of all, righteousness. He offers us righteousness. In our text, Paul, who's the author of this letter, um, says to the, the church, the group of the people that he's writing to, he says, you know, I used to find my identity in my own righteousness, which came from the law, but now I find it in a new identity, in the righteousness that comes from God. This is what he says in verse 9. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through 
faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Um, all right, so what do we mean by righteousness? What do we mean by this word righteousness? I think for some of us, this word righteousness is sort of an old-fashioned, archaic, out-of-date religious word that has no bearing on human life whatsoever in modern day. It's just out of date. No one uses it anymore. For, other, for others of us, uh, we imagine someone that we may or may not know uh, who we don't like for a very specific reason, and we don't like them because of how self-righteous they are. Uh, this could be a person we know or a person in the media. But we, we don't like that they're self-righteous. They force their values, they force their beliefs and morality, and they're, they're prideful about, about who they are. They're prideful about their identity. And what I want us to see is that uh, righteousness, as it's used in this context, in this passage, is actually neither of those things. It's neither of those things. Actually, righteousness simply means right standing. It means right standing before God. And so right standing before God here in this passage, and as the Bible unfolds it, uh, really involves uh, primarily two things. Right standing before God involves the removal and the forgiveness of our sin and everything that we've done wrong. And it involves the presence of God's approval and His favor. It involves the, the removal and forgiveness of our sin and the, and the presence of God's acceptance, His love, and His delight. And the Bible teaches us that we need righteousness because our God is a righteous God. In order to have a relationship with Him, we need to be righteous like Him. The only problem is that we are sinners, that we have broken his law, we've, we've turned our backs on him, we've, we've, we've chosen to reject him, and that in and of ourselves we are unable to produce righteousness, that we are unable to produce right standing from God, and actually that we actually deserve his just judgment for sin, that we, are, we actually are in need of right standing before God, something that we can't produce. And I know that some of you might be here tonight, and you might be thinking, you know, I don't know if I necessarily believe in a God, or something like sin, or, or a law, or heaven or hell, like, I don't necessarily believe that stuff, and so therefore, I don't really need righteousness. I don't need to be, I don't need to have reconcil- reconciliation with a, God, with a holy God, because I don't believe in those things. Uh, I don't believe in God, and even if I did, uh, He wouldn't be a God who would require righteousness from me. He would just love me, and he would just forgive me whenever I did things that were bad. And I would say, okay, fine, fair, but, but, you do have something that gives you a sense of self. You do have something that gives you a sense of self-worth. You do have something in your life, some standard, some criteria by which you have your own identity. And this identity gives you a sense of right standing. It may not be before God, but it's before others, before your family, before society, or even before yourself. Um, and that's true. Uh, that is true because you live in a culture. Because you live in a culture. And all cultures have a process for identity formation. So, uh, in some cultures, uh, what we might call traditional cultures, more traditional cultures, mostly non-Western, non-American cultures, identity formation happens mostly externally. 
happens externally. So we find our identity, we find out who we are by embracing our roles in society, by, uh, through our roles in our family, or our social groups, or, or being a citizen of a country. And so these are cultures where the family, the family unit, is more important than the individual. And so our self-worth, our right standing, depends on the honor that our family or our society bestows on us and gives to us uh, as we live up to those expectations. Our modern Western culture is completely the opposite. Identity formation doesn't happen externally, it happens internally. Uh, that we live in a culture that says that we find out who we are by looking inside and choosing for ourselves who we want to become. That we get our, we get our identity not by looking externally and realizing society's expectations of us, uh, but by looking externally, internally and figuring out who we are. And this is because we live in a culture where the individual is more important than uh, the family. And so we get our self-worth, we get our right standing uh, by being true to ourselves. Uh, so there's a famous sociologist at the University of Cal Berkeley named Robert Bella. And Robert Bella is the one who he really uh, defined a lot of this research. And he defined this sense of identity formation as expressive individualism. That that is the culture we live, that we are to look inside, find our identity, and express it to the world. And this is all throughout our culture. And you've heard it, you hear it all day long, and here's what it sounds like. It sounds like, listen to your heart, and be yourself. And don't you tell, let anyone else tell you who you are. You've got to be true to who you are. You've got to look inside and figure out who you are and be true to that. So I was actually recently hanging out with uh, some kids, of friends of mine, so my campus director's kids, and we were hanging out watching TV recently. Uh, I was watching them for the afternoon, and we were watching one of their favorite shows, which I recently found out about. It's a show called Ninjago. Has anyone watched this show? It's amazing. It's this show where Legos are ninjas, and it's awesome. And so I was introduced to this show, and we were watching it, and it was awesome. They were beating the bad guys, and it was great. You gotta, you gotta see it. But we got to the point at the end of the show where in all kids' shows, you know what's coming, you know the moral of the story is coming. There's a moral lesson coming. And what happened is you had all these Lego ninjas together, and they're standing in a circle. They beat the bad guy, and one Lego ninja says to all the other Lego ninjas, Guys, you know what I learned today? And the other Lego ninja say, what? And he says, I learned that you've got to stay true to yourself no matter what. That's expressive individualism. That's all over our culture. It's in our movies. It's in our music. It's everywhere. And so, what's the point? Here's the point. Here's the point I'm trying to make. That all of us live in a culture, and all of us have something, even if we don't believe in God, that gives us a sense of self, gives us a sense of self-worth, that gives us a sense of right standing before others or before ourselves. And so whatever it is, whether it's being smart, whether it's being successful, whether it's being in a dating relationship or making our family proud, uh, there is a standard by which you measure yourself that says, this is who I am and this is what makes me matter. And that, that's your righteousness. Whatever that is, that's your righteousness because it gives you your sense of right standing. 
And so the question is, whatever that is, whatever that is for you, does your righteousness free you? Does your, does this, whatever gives you right standing, does it, does it free you? Does it give you a sense of freedom or does it weigh you down? Does it burden you? Does it crush you? Does it cripple you? That's the question. That's the question about identity. That's the question that we're going to look at tonight. So we're going to, we're going to come back to that. But here's the, the, the first point, right? In our text, that the identity that Jesus offers us is, he gives us righteousness. Okay? Here's the second part. Here's the second part of the identity that Jesus gives us. The second part is that Jesus gives us righteousness that comes not from our performance, but from his performance. That's the second part of identity that he gives us. So in verse 9... This is what Paul is going to say, that I have found a righteousness not of my own, which comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So the two sort of forms of identity that I mentioned earlier, one that comes in more traditional non-Western cultures, one that comes more in modern American Western culture, they're both really different. In fact, you're probably thinking, I probably oversimplified it a little bit, and I did but the point is, they're very different in how they conceive of the person, how they conceive of the relation between the individual to society. They're very different. And I don't want to oversimplify it. It's, it's complex. But they're both very similar in one aspect. They're both really, really close. They're both really, really like each other in this regard. That in both cases, in the traditional version and the modern Western version, your identity is based on your performance. So in traditional cultures, your identity, your sense of self-worth is based on your ability to live up to society's expectations of you, to your family's expectations of you. And your, that their, your family's size, they're going to give you a sense of honor or they're going to give you a sense of shame. The same is true in, in modern culture, in our culture, that your sense of self-worth is based on your ability to live up to your own internal expectations. Whatever you choose to be, whoever you choose is who you are, your sense of self-worth is based on your ability to perform according to that. In both, your identity is wrapped up in your performance, in your achievements. And this can be incredibly burdensome. Let me illustrate this to you. So, um, another great American film uh, is the movie Rocky, uh, which came out, I think, in the 80s, maybe. Uh, but the movie Rocky, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a classic. If you haven't seen it, you got to see it. Um, but the movie Rocky, Sylvester Stallone, we all know that is Sylvester Stallone. He plays this sort of young, scrappy boxer from Philadelphia uh, who is kind of an underdog. Uh, but he, he works really hard and um, it, so it's, it's actually the, the movie where the theme song is, is Eye of the Tiger by Survivor, which you probably heard. Um, so, but one of the, the, the main plot lines of the first Rocky movie is that he is getting ready to fight Apollo Creed, who's the world champion. Uh, he's the undisputed champion, and in fact, no one has actually ever gone 12 rounds with Apollo Creed. He's uh, knocked out his opponent uh, before the, the, the match has Ended. And there's this scene in Rocky where it's the night before the fight, and he's talking with his girlfriend, Adrian, and he's saying, uh, you know, you know I, actually, I really don't care if I'm in the fight. 
all I want to do is just last the 12 rounds. All I want to do is last the whole fight with Apollo Creed, the world champion. And here's what he says. I'm not going to do my Sylvester Stallone voice. Just ima imagine Sylvester Stallone saying this. He says, it really don't matter if I lose this fight. Because I was nobody before. All I want to do is go the distance. If I can go the distance, then when that bell rings and I'm still standing, then I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I'm not just some, I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I'm not just some bum. The singer, uh, songwriter, actress Madonna, uh, very similarly, uh, years ago, in an interview with Vanity Fair magazine, uh, said this about her career as a, as a singer, as an actress. She said that all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. And I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it, and I discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me. It's always pushing me. Because even though that I've become somebody, I still have to prove that somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Rocky and Madonna are both saying the exact same thing. What they're saying is that there's this standard for their identity, that there's a standard to become somebody. In order to become somebody, I have to achieve it. I need to prove that I matter, that I'm worth something. Otherwise, I'm a bum. Otherwise, I'm mediocre. Otherwise, I'm nobody. Why? Because their identity is wrapped up in performance. Because their identity is wrapped up in their achievements. For Rocky, it's winning the fight, or it's going to, going to 12 rounds. For Madonna, it's performance as, as an actress, as a singer. What is it for you? What is it for you? What is it for you that says, I've got to do this. I've got to do this to, to go out and prove to the world, to prove to my family, to, to prove to myself that I am somebody, that I matter, that I'm, that I'm not above. What I want to show you is that this way of leaning into your identity, this way of leaning into becoming someone, that yes, there's, there's part of it that's good, right? Part of it is, is good in that it upholds and it dignifies the individual apart from society, which is good. Our U.S. government, our Constitution depends on that, and that's, we want to affirm that. But what I also want to show you is that this view of answering the question, who am I, of finding your identity, that it's based on your performance, that also has a dark side. That also has a dark side. And I want to show that to you briefly. There, there's, there's two things about this kind of view of identity that, that I want to kind of show, that I want to kind of uh, uncover and unfold for us. Unfold for us. Uh, real briefly, here's, here's two things. The first, of, the first is that this is deeply incoherent. That this is, this is contradictory at face value. Because wouldn't you agree that, that deep down, all of us are deeply, we're, we're conflicted people. That there's a mixture of desires for different things. That there's a mixture of good and bad. But here's the question. If we're supposed to stay true to ourselves, if we're supposed to find out who we are, 
then how are we supposed to know which part to stay true to? How, how are we supposed to know which part in our sort of deeply conflicted self, where we have different desires, where we have a mixture of good and bad, how do we know, how do we know how to, to, to navigate that? That's, that's interesting. You might say, well, well, of course, we're just supposed to stay true to the good parts. We're supposed to ignore the bad parts. We're, st- we're supposed to stay true to, to the good parts of who we are. And, and I'd say, yeah, you know, yeah, that's, that's fine. That's great. But, but listen, here's, here's really the dark side to this that I think. If a person in the world chooses to, to be violent, if they choose to do harm, if they choose to do evil, and we, and we live in a culture that says you've got to stay true to who you are, how, how can we say... That, that what that person did was wrong. How can we say that what that person did was, uh, was, was morally wrong when they were just being true to themselves? Just like you, they looked down inside themselves and they were trying to figure out who they are and they, what they came up with was being violent, was contributing to injustice and harm in the world. Who's to say that Hitler wasn't just being who he truly was? He was just discovering his inner self. He just was expressing that to the world. And so this view of identity is, is deeply incoherent because it doesn't give us a standard. It doesn't give us an outside uh, standard uh, uh, to, to challenge darkness, to challenge evil. It allows evil to go unchallenged. So first of all, it's incoherent. But secondly, it'll crush you. This view of identity is absolutely crushing to your soul. And here's why. Because if it's up to you, to come up with your own identity, to come up with your own sense of self, it's based on your performance and your achievements, then it's also up to you to deal with the consequences when you fail. Then it's also up to you to deal with your own shame, to deal with your own guilt when you don't measure up, either to others' expectations of you or to your own expectations. See, there's a voice inside of all of us that says, you've got to do this, you need to prove yourself to be somebody. You've got to be smart. You've got to be beautiful. You've got to be successful. You've got to care about justice. There's something that it makes you say, if I don't do this, I'll be a bum. I'll be nobody. Do you know what that is? Do you know what that voice is? It's a law. It's a law. It's a standard. It's a voice that makes demands on you. That says, this is who you've got to be. It might might come from your own self, it might come from somebody else, but it's a law that makes demands on you. And here's the thing about about a law. A law can't give you right standing. A law cannot give you righteousness. A law cannot help you when you don't measure up. It cannot forgive you when when you fail. It cannot help you deal with your own shame. It can't help you deal with your shame when you don't measure up. And that will crush you. That'll absolutely crush your soul. So if your identity is in being, in being smart, if it's in getting good grades and, and being a good student, right? then what, what happens when your GPA starts to tank? What happens when you fail a test? What happens when uh, you start, start failing, not, not succeeding the way you want to as a student? If your identity is wrapped up in being uh, beautiful and pretty and, and, and physically uh, beautiful, you know, what's going to happen to your, sense of, to your uh, identity when you get older? And you start to age. And you start to not be able to, to look physically as you once did. If your identity is in being, good at, being a good athlete, being a good performer, 
what's going to happen when you plant that foot and that ACL tears and you can no longer play? If your identity is wrapped up in your performance, if it's wrapped up in your achievements, there is no room for failure. There's no room for failure. Because you've got to be smart. You've got to be successful. Otherwise, you're nobody. And there's nothing to come in and rescue you from your shame when you fail. And God, who wants to live under the weight of that? That's incredibly burdensome. Who wants to live under the weight of that? And that's why uh, we can't live, we can't just live with an identity of our own making. We can't just live with an identity that comes from within. We need external validation. We need a voice from the outside that says, this is who you are, and this is why you matter. We need a voice from the outside to give us right standing, to give us righteousness. And in this text, in Philippians 3, Paul tells us uh, that he too once had an identity that was based on his achievements. He had an identity that was based on, on his performance of the religious law. In verses uh, 4 and 6, if you look back, um, Paul says that his identity was wrapped up in his, his religious and his moral track record. It was wrapped up in his, his ability to, to perform uh, the religious uh, expectations of the day. So if Paul was in your crew movement, if he was part of your, your, your crew group on campus, Paul would be the guy who was a student leader. Uh, he'd be the guy who was on servant team. He'd be the guy who was waking up at 6 a.m. to lead prayer sessions. He would be going to every conference. He'd be going to every uh, summer missions opportunity. He would be the guy that externally would, would look really good and spiritual. And Paul says that, that that used to be what I found my identity in. But now, in Philippians 3, Paul says, I found something that is incomparably greater. I found something that's incomparably greater. Verses uh, 7 and 8. Um, verse 7 says, uh, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. So this word for rubbish here is, we would probably imagine rubbish as just being trash, right? That we, we go and throw out in the dumpster. But the reality is that this word uh, means something more like excrement. It means something like waste. Only probably the four-letter version of that. And what Paul is saying is that building my identity on being the religious guy, being the super spiritual guy who had it all together, on my religious performance is like excrement compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. Why? Because the, the righteousness that he had in Jesus came not from Paul's performance, but from Jesus' performance. Because Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life. He was without sin. He loved God with all of his heart. He loved his neighbor as himself. He lived a perfectly righteous life, and he earned all of the favor, all of the delight, all of the, the blessing from God that we could not. And Jesus' righteousness, his record, was given to Paul. All right, so how many of you guys have heard of the NBA player Jack Haley? Anybody? Jack Haley, come on. He's, you guys, I mean, he won an NBA championship. You guys no one knows who Jack Haley is? There's like, there's like two people who know who Jack Haley is. All right, well, here's the thing. I got I to gotta tell you. I got to tell you who Jack Haley is. So Jack Haley was uh, a player for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, and in 1996, with the Bulls, uh, Jack Haley won an NBA championship. He won an NBA ring. 
but almost nobody's ever heard of him, except the, the most devout NBA fans. Most people have never heard of this guy named Jack Haley. Let me tell you what he did during the 1996 season. Here's what he did. Jack Haley played a grand total of seven minutes all season. He had five points, two rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks. His performance was negligible. He contributed nothing, almost nothing, to the team. But at the end of the season, Jack Haley got a ring just like everybody else in the 96 Bulls got a ring. Now, why did Jack Haley get a ring in the 1996 Chicago Bulls? Now raise your hand. How many of you have ever heard of someone named Michael Jordan? That's what I thought. <laughs> now, the, the Bulls were good in the 90s for a lot of good, you know, they had a lot of good players. They had Scottie Pippen, they had Steve Kerr, Tony Kukoc, Dennis Rodman. They, they had a solid team. But the Bulls won six championships in the 90s for one reason and for one reason only, because they were Michael Jordan's Bulls. Everyone knows that, right? And so the, the thing is that even though Jack Haley contributed absolutely nothing to the 1996 uh, championship team, Jack Haley was given a ring. Jack Haley was, he was credited with Michael Jordan's performance. And friends, you need to know that that is the gospel. That that's the gospel. That you and I are Jack Haley. We don't contribute anything to our righteousness before God, to our right standing before God. And Jesus, Jesus is our true and greater Michael Jordan. Jesus is the one who has the stellar performance. He is the one who has the amazing performance and dunks the ball from the foul line and sticks out his tongue in the process. See, the bad news is that uh, we are sinners, that the law can only demand things of us and, and let us know uh, that we are ourselves unrighteous. That's, that's the bad news. That's what the law can tell us. But the good news is that even though we are unable to provide righteousness for ourselves, God provides righteousness for us. That's the gospel. We earn nothing to earn our right standing before God, and yet we are credited with Jesus' championship performance. That's the gospel. The gospel is the good news because Jesus took all of our identity, of all of our shame, of all of our failure, of all of our guilt, of every single way in life where we have not measured up, either to what we expect of ourselves or what others expect of us. And we get his identity of righteousness and perfection and victory. If your identity is in Jesus, what becomes true of you is that your sins are forgiven. Your shame and your guilt is taken away because Jesus himself took it on the cross and it died with him there. And what's also true of you is that you also receive God's approval. You receive his delight. You receive his blessing. If you're, and that's true because if your identity is in Christ, your life is not wrapped up in your performance. It is wrapped up in him. It is, as Paul says in this text, it is found in him. You are holy, spotless, righteous. So the identity that Jesus gives us is righteousness. It is righteousness that, we, that is not, does not come from our performance, but it comes from Jesus' performance. And lastly, really quickly, that is because, uh, therefore, uh, the righteousness that Jesus gives us is received, not achieved. The identity that Jesus gives us is received, not achieved. Verse 9 says uh, that this righteousness 
comes through faith in Christ. And here in this text, in other places in Scripture, faith simply means trust. It means trust. It means where we put our confidence in to find our identity. This identity in Jesus is not something that we can earn. We can't look good enough. We can't be smart enough. We can't be successful enough. We can't make our parents proud enough. It is only something that we can receive by faith, by trusting Him, the championship performance of another. It's received, not achieved. And so, friends, you have to decide. You have to decide if this identity that comes by faith, this perfect identity from Jesus, you have to decide if this is something that is for you. You have to decide if you want to receive it. You have to decide if you're going to take it from Him. In the last few minutes, what I want to do is I want to show you how this identity that's received and not achieved, I want to show you um, how this identity is radically free. How it's more free than any other identity you could offer. Uh, so we're going to look at two things really quickly. The first is, whereas uh, if your identity is bound up in your performance, you are, you are not free to fail. Identity in Christ makes you absolutely, absolutely free to fail. It frees you to fail. If your identity is in your accomplishments, you've got to be smart. You've got to be beautiful. You've got to be successful. But if you're in Jesus, you're, you have all the freedom in the world to make mistakes. You have all the freedom in the world to struggle and try again and fail. Because God's love, God's acceptance, His approval of you, your right standing before Him is already yours. You don't have to earn it. It's already yours. Which means that you're, you're free to take risks in life. You're free to, uh, to, to go and pursue hard things, to launch businesses, and to, uh, to, just to launch nonprofits, and to go be missionaries in parts of the world that need the gospel. Why? Because if you go and you fail, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change your identity because you already have God's approval. You already have his delight. If you're in Jesus, if you're in Jesus, you're free to fail. And that's the good news of the gospel. So what I want to do is I want to just invite the band to come up, and, uh, and they're going to, to lead us in worship uh, one more time. Um, and as the, as the band comes up um, and, and sets up, um, I just want to ask you a couple of questions in terms of where you're at tonight with, uh, with understanding and processing what this identity is in Jesus and, and what it is that he has to offer us. Um, the first is, so what are you trusting in? What are you trusting in to be your righteousness? What are you trusting in to give you right standing? Either before God, or before others, or before yourself? And secondly, how is that working for you? How is that identity working for you? Is it something that gives you life? Is it something that frees you? Or is it something that cripples you? Is it something that you can't even stand under the weight of it? Is it something that's even crushing to you and burdensome to you right now? This semester, this week, this day. And finally, do you, do you know, have you experienced the, the joy and the freedom in the life that's found in identity in Christ? It's found in having a sense of self that doesn't come from your performance. It doesn't rest on your achievements, but rests upon one who has gone and achieved on your behalf. And therefore, you have a Father in heaven who loves you and who delights in you and who has favor on you, and that will never change. Because your life is found in Him. Have you experienced the freedom of that? That you, you're, you're free to fail. You're free to not be awesome. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. 
and thank you that, uh, Lord, that you have not left us to ourselves. And that you give us an identity. You give us a righteousness, not our own. Lord, I pray for the people in this room and I pray for myself that we would know the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus. That we would know the surpassing greatness of being found in Him. Of having all of your approval, God. Of having all of your delight, all of your blessing. I pray for the areas in our lives where we're burdened, where we're weighed down, where we're crushed. Jesus, I pray that you would bring freedom and healing uh, and life into those areas, uh, beginning with this weekend. Lord, be with us this weekend. Help us to enjoy you uh, and to enjoy one another this weekend.